This is the Purpose Church Podcast. We exist to help every person live on purpose. It is our prayer that this message helps you experience God in a brand new way. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. If we haven't had the privilege of getting to meet each other yet, my name is Jesse. I serve here at the Purpose Church as an associate pastor over Next Generation Ministries. So I oversee the kids and the youth and the young adults. So diapers to diplomas, that's how I like to say it. So it's a privilege to be here bringing the word with you this morning. Uh, pastor Landon and Pastor Kelly, our senior pastors, I honor them this morning. They're out getting rested up on their once a year vacation. They're going to be back next week. You don't want to miss them continuing this series for us. Um, I'm glad y'all are here this morning, though. This is 4th of July weekend. Y'all were the ones not traveling, so it's good to be in the room with you guys. We're, we're continuing this series that, that our pastors have led us in called Flipped. And this series takes Jesus' most famous sermon, his Sermon on the Mount, and the, the beginning of it, Jesus pronounces some blessings, and he, and he states some facts, that, and they're called Beatitudes, and it's, blessed are those who blank and it's blessing after blessing and Jesus is defining these kingdom principles that are flipped from what culture would have thought. Oh, Siri talking to me. Sorry, Siri. Not today. Culture would have thought that things are a certain way based on what we see and perceive and experience and Jesus came with kingdom culture and he flipped the script on what blessing really is. And Pastor Landon defined for us in, in week one of the series that uh, a blessing, the word blessing that Jesus uses, is not just like, you know, hashtag blessed, my day was cool, I had a good cup of coffee, hashtag blessed. Blessing like Jesus is talking about is actually supreme blessing, blessing to the uttermost. So Jesus is giving us insight into how to have a truly and utterly supremely blessed life. And so if we were to take these principles kind of compare them to culture, see how Jesus is flipping the script, we can unlock true blessing in our lives. If you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be reading out of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. It, this is the beginning of these blessings. And Jesus starts it by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This right off the bat, blessing in lack. So Jesus is flipping the script. If you missed that message from Pastor Landon in week one, go back and listen to it online, on the website, on the podcast, on YouTube. Consume this content. Because I believe if we truly understand God, instead of just you know, doing the church thing or doing the Christian thing and coming here and leaving here and being unchanged, but if we were to truly understand who God is and unlock kingdom principles, we can walk in true power and true authority and, and not live as like, you know, half-hearted, broke down, busted and disgusted Christians, but live as empowered Christians living the blessed life that Jesus has for us. So, so he's flipping the script. Go back and listen to that one. So the second one is blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Pastor Crystal brought last week, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. And these are all, these are all backwards to what we think, where we think blessing lies. And this week I'm bringing verse six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Everybody say filled. Filled. So this week, we're talking about a blessing, a supreme blessing and true fulfillment and where it comes from. As I was kind of looking at this, I was like, righteousness. I don't think that people wake up these days and go, I'm ready to, to be righteous today. Right? Like we're not thinking about righteousness commonly, maybe the way people back then were. 
In fact, why should we even care about hungering and thirsting for righteousness? That's a question I asked myself as I was reading this. And, and by the way, Bible study tip, don't leave your brain at home when you come to church. Ask questions. If you're not asking questions, then you're not going to ever understand God. And then how will you ever understand who you are and who he created you to be and the purpose that he has for you? So first you got to start with some questions. So why does this matter? Why should we hunger and thirst after righteousness? Especially because our culture and the world around us promotes the opposite. It promotes selfishness. It promotes the self as the highest thing that we should be pursuing. We really should be pursuing success. We should pursue money. We should pursue happiness. That's, that's what's really going to bring us fulfillment is pursuing these things. And yet, people who have those things in our world, take celebrities, for example. Now, I'm not bagging on anybody, but they kill themselves all the time and they have all the fame, all the money, all the status. So that there's, there's something that's not quite fulfilled in them, even though they have stuff. So why does this matter? Why should we care about righteousness? Jesus is saying that fulfillment comes from pursuing it. And I just feel like that's a hard concept for us to, to get our heads around. But if you think about it, everything in our world is actually just a fleeting pleasure. Think of anything that's your favorite thing, favorite food, your favorite experience, a bonding moment with, with a loved one, relationships, newsflash, everybody dies. Like eventually it's all going to end. Like everything is temporary. And so I, I'm of the opinion, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know. Not while I have the mic though, you know. I'm of the opinion that no, very few people are actually happy. I almost said nobody. I don't want to say nobody. But happiness is elusive. But it's a universal human hunger to be satisfied, to be content, to be happy, to have meaning, to have purpose. One of the number one selling books of all time in our country is The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. Like everybody wants something in their life to be significant. They want it to matter. And more importantly, we don't want it to suck, right? Like we don't want our lives to be bad. We want to be happy. I think this is a universal human experience. And with that at the forefront of our minds, maybe even we were designed that way, I would pose. If everything is fleeting and no one is satisfied with any of these things, maybe this verse is important. Throw it back up on the screen for me. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. True fulfillment is what everyone is seeking. Could it be that our appetites and our affections are in the wrong place? Jesus is saying that hungering and thirsting after something gives you fulfillment, and it's not the thing that most of us would have thought. So how could a hunger and a thirst for righteousness fill us? We're going to talk about that today. The, the, the true satisfaction, I think, um, is, is something that actually God put in us. The desire for happiness and fulfillment is inside of every human being. And it's actually the most important thing that if you pay attention to culture around you and your own desires in your own life, it's what we're all pursuing. It's what we pursue in relationships. It's what we pursue in building a family. We want some happiness. We, and I think sometimes we like religious people like trick themselves out of it. Like, oh no, I shouldn't just be pursuing my own self. You know, I live for God. And, and like, we think it's wrong to pursue happiness, but I think that God made us that way on purpose. God gave us a hunger 
and a thirst for fulfillment. And Jesus is giving us a, a sneak peek into the, a kingdom principle that's backwards from what we normally think, that the true satisfaction, fulfillment comes from pursuing righteousness. Another question, you ought to ask questions, right? How does a hunger bring satisfaction? Because by definition, hunger is where you're lacking something and you want more of something, so you're not satisfied yet. So how could hunger make you satisfied? And more importantly, how could a hunger for righteousness satisfy you? Have you ever known someone who was thirsty <laughs> at all? Like thirsty for attention, thirsty for, thirsty for some approval. They're just thirsty, you know? Have you ever met somebody who's like that? Or they're, they're really craving to be better or right all the time. And we got one of those people in their life. And, they're, and they almost like lord it over people, like that they're better than them because blah, 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 blah. I think that's kind of what we think of when we think of pursuing righteousness. It almost gives us this picture of like a uber moral high horse person who's really annoying to be around. Or have you ever known a person who's like truly good? Like they're just a good person. You're like, wow, they're better than me. I wouldn't have said that. Like I would have, I would have gone off on that person, but they responded well. Like they're like genuinely full of light. Like, so I feel like we have two examples of, of this. Like there's the, the, the fake righteous, the self-righteous person that we all maybe know. And then there's a person who's like genuinely pure and good. They're few and far between in my experience in life. But I, there, there's this lady I know. Her name is Pam Espinoza. Pam, shout out if you're listening to this message ever in the future. I love you like a mom. Pam was a, my wife Jacqueline and I's pre-marriage counselor, her and her husband Mike. They did our premarital counseling and, and they've seen us through almost a decade of marriage as, as just friends and, and mentors. And Pam is genuinely just a good person. Like she's being around her makes you happier. Have you ever been around someone like that? They're just like full of goodness. I'm like, wow, like whatever she has, I want that. But my stepmom used to call that a thin-skinned Christian growing up. Someone that you can just see Jesus right through them. Like they just, they're just like, whoa, you have so much joy, it's annoying, but I want some of it, right? Like, they're just so full of light. Pam is a lady like that, and I'm like, whatever she has, I want it. You know, my, my mom is here this morning. She's another person like that. My mom and my sister, they flew in from out of state for the 4th of July. They're going to be here tomorrow serving at, at the, the 4th of July Jubilee. If you, if you haven't signed up for it yet, it's on the website. It's going to be fun. But they also came to see me preach. My mom is also full of joy. Maybe you met her in the lobby. Just some people are just full of something that's good. There's goodness in them. And then there's people who got bad attitudes and stuff like me most of the time. So, you know, we're trying to get there. But, but those are like our two examples, right? We've got like this false righteousness. And then maybe there's some actual goodness that we've seen. I think that to long for righteousness leading to fulfillment is a very flipped concept. Notice it's longing for, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, not attaining it, that brings the fulfillment. So, so maybe this is about appetite and not achievement that dictates our fulfillment. Maybe it's about what we change our appetite to, what we hunger for, that dictates whether or not our lives are actually fulfilled. So that's kind of how we relate to it. But how did the ancient Jews who were hearing this relate to it when Jesus was speaking to, to this Jewish-Palestinian culture, when he says, you must hunger and thirst for righteousness, to them, righteousness, and, and still today, biblically, the definition of righteousness is to be in right standing with God. It's a positional term. 
It's, it denotes status of you are either in right standing with God or you are not. There's no like, I'm kind of righteous this week, you know. It, it's it's a, you're in right standing or you're not. So that's what righteousness is talking about in this. It's not a partial righteousness. Like you're not, you've got your, your moral, pious person, but they, but they show no love. Like that's not righteousness. But then you've got the person who would give you the shirt off their back, but man, they don't follow a single command of God. They don't listen to anything uh, in the Bible. So it's not one or the other. It's total righteousness. So it's the pursuit of this that these Palestinians and these Jews would have heard. So pursuing righteousness can bring me fulfillment, but to them, that's not possible because Jews, in order to be righteous, they had to fulfill every requirement of the law, the Jewish law, the Old Testament. And it was, there's hundreds of them. Nobody could do it. It was kind of the point of the law is to reveal people's sinful nature. And so to them, they're like, wait a minute, pursuing righteousness gives me fulfillment. It actually just reminds me that I suck and that I'm not enough. So this would have been a very flipped concept to the listener when Jesus was speaking. And us today, we, we only can attain right standing with God, not by our works, but by the blood of Jesus. It is only because Jesus, sinless, died for us. Took, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. So he, he exchanged his righteousness for our sin. And he died for it. And then he rose again and overcame death, hell, and the grave. So that only in the blood of Jesus, when we put on Christ, are we seen as righteous before God. No good works that we ever do would make us good enough to be considered righteous before God. So they didn't have that context that, that we kind of, in, in modern times, we have the rest of the story, but they didn't. And so this hunger and thirst that they would have, have pictured that they need to have for righteousness is not like a, a little bit of hunger, like, oh, I need a snack. It's like near starvation level hunger. The original language denotes that, that it's like starvation almost to the point of death. That's the level of hunger that they need to have for this thing in order to be fulfilled. And thirst, not like they didn't have tap water, right? So, so this is desert living people. This is, these people knew thirst like we probably don't know thirst. So the, the hearer of Jesus's blessing in this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. They had, they had a certain context in mind when they were hearing this from Jesus. The promise of this beatitude could be more modernly so that we could understand it. It could be said like this, oh, the supreme blessing and bliss of the person who longs for total righteousness as a starving man longs for food or as a man perishing of thirst longs for water for this person will be truly satisfied. I like the way the, the New King James says it. Throw it up there for me on the screen so everyone can see it. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for they shall be filled. Some translations say filled, some say satisfied. The meaning of that word in its original language is, is filled all the way to the brim, like overflowing or to gorge oneself. Like think, think Thanksgiving meal status, like, like super full. So the utter fulfillment only comes from pursuing this one thing. And so I... I really wanted to preach to you guys today about being filled with the fullness. Like that topic has just been something that God has, has pumped me up about over time. Like there's this verse in Ephesians that says, they will know the love of Christ and be filled with the fullness of God. Right? I, wanted, I really wanted to preach that. But God said, that's not the, that's not the, the, the tone. 
And I was like, okay, God, you want me to preach on being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit? Being filled. And God said, no. Before the filling comes, they need to learn how to hunger and thirst for me. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to learn how to hunger and thirst for God. Because the true satisfaction, the true fulfillment, the thing that's missing in this weird life that we live in where we have all the things but we're not really happy, the thing that's missing is a hunger and a thirst for the things of God. And I think we've disconnected from that in our culture a little bit. I've titled, if you're taking notes, I've titled this sermon, Changing Your Appetite. Changing Your Appetite. Because it's about shifting our cravings and, and changing our affections from worldly things, the things that are temporary fleeting pleasures, and to the things of God. And, and like we said before, the righteousness that we pursue is not a righteousness in and of ourselves. It's actually in a person, and it's Jesus. So it's the pursuit of Jesus that brings this fulfillment. But have you ever noticed, like I have, that in the pursuit of righteousness, the forbidden fruit tastes so good sometimes? Like sometimes you're just tempted to do the thing that you're not supposed to do just because you want to do it. Like I think of who's ever been on a diet? Yeah, how long did that last, right? Like it lasts like a day or so, and then you're like, man, that, that dessert is just so yummy. It's very appetizing. It's like we know that bad food is bad for us, but we do it all the time. We know we would live longer and be there for our families for decades more if we ate super clean and super healthy, but it's like the forbidden stuff is so good. The temptation is so strong. Uh, I also notice uh, anybody speed in their car? I'm, I'm just, it's confession mode right now for me. I'm, I'm a speeder. I drive too fast sometimes. I've gotten a few tickets. The Lord humbled me. And, uh, and we know the speed limit, but we're like, man, I'm late for work, you know? We're just trying to get somewhere. Always in a hurry. You roll through a stop sign, any of those people? I don't hold it against me, but I'm originally from California. So we do the California stop and go, and then we kind of keep going. It's not a full stop. That's a bad word in Texas. I shouldn't talk about that. California. <laughs> what about embellishing? What about embellishing a story? Any, any embellishers in here? You exaggerate. I'm, I'm the worst at this. My wife is like, you're so dramatic. I'll be telling a story. I'll be telling a story and I'm like, and there's, and then you guys won't believe what happened. And I'm like looking at everyone's eyes in the room to make sure I've got, I'm gripping their attention. And she's like, it didn't even happen like that. Like you're just making stuff up. But that's a lie. That's a white lie. And it's, and it's a compromise that, that we make because it, it, does, it doesn't matter. I don't know. You know, we're, we're kind of on this, where are my overeaters at? I told you this is confession for me right now. <laughs> I, every meal is Thanksgiving. I'm so full, I'll never eat again. And then two hours later, I'm like, when's dinner? So it's, I feel like we, we can all identify with this on some level. What about statistics show that 90% of people inside and outside the church deal with this one. You ever clicked on a website that you shouldn't have clicked on? You ever looked at someone with lust or desire, but without the commitment of covenant attached to it? You ever gone down the path of lust? Mm, a little quieter on that one. You see, when we allow our cravings and our affections to be guided by fleeting desires and lesser pleasures, our minds are fooled. Okay, they're tricked out of a deeper satisfaction and an abiding joy that only comes from God. 
It only comes from God. So, we, so we're tricked into taking a lesser pleasure when a greater one is offered to us. And so while we think that our culture is too, has too many desires and they give into their desires too much, a famous theologian and prolific writer, C.S. Lewis, comments on this human desire issue. And he says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. You see, we're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. And like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slums because he cannot imagine what is meant to him by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. We exchange a greater pleasure, an infinite source of joy and fulfillment and pleasure for a lesser one, a temporary, a fleeting one. And this is universal. This, don't, don't kick yourself too hard. This is human. We all do this. You see, our problem is not a problem of logic because we actually know what's bad, like with the food. Like the whole point of Adam and Eve in the garden and the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is that humans decided to not trust God for what was good and evil, but to take that knowledge into themselves so that their consciences were ruled by themselves instead of ruled by what God says. So we all know the knowledge of good and evil. Every human being, no matter what culture, no matter what moral code of that region, Everybody knows what's bad, but logical thinking alone doesn't fix our decision-making. There's, there's, there's something that needs to happen when you think something versus when you do something, right? Think of kids. They know the rules, but how often do they follow the rules, right? We're adults for that matter. I, I just said I speed, you know. So I think our problem is misaligned affections and appetites, it's craving the wrong thing, the, the fleeting pleasure instead of the abiding one. And we need a total renewal of the soul to fix this. We've been taught by our pastors some good teaching on repentance. And if you guys remember, repentance is not just to like stop doing bad stuff. It's to change your thinking. It's to change your mind about something, which is a decision that you can make in an instant. You can change the way you choose to think about something. But in order for like true sustained life change to follow, once we've changed our minds so that we don't just kind of go back to the old thing as soon as we get tempted again, in order for a decision of the will to remain and last, there must be a total rewriting of a heart's pursuit. Does that make sense? Like we have to, we have to change our appetite, what we hunger and what we thirst for. The Bible calls this concept a, a renewed mind. In Romans 12, it's up on the screens, it says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your So, So the Bible is telling us that our minds can be renewed, but again, with questions, right? How? How do we renew our minds? See, it's the mind's job to think but that's part of it. Our soul is made up of our mind, our will, and our emotions. So something needs to take place. And I, I believe it's a twofold work. There's our part, and then there's God's part. Everybody say our part. Everybody say God's part. I teach Sunday school, so y'all are going to participate today. Our part is to train our minds. Like, a, like picture like an athlete training for a sport. Like there's work that goes in, there's discipline, there's, there's boundaries, there's, there's structure, and they get a result that is higher than the average. So it's our job to train our minds, but then there's his job, there's God's job. 
And that's to regenerate our souls. There's a regenerative work, that, that a sin nature that needs to be taken away, and only the blood of Jesus can do that. So we're going to talk about both of those things today, training our minds, and then we'll talk at the end about God's work in our soul. I have it on the screens that our soul is made up of our mind, our will, and our emotions. And this is, this is the way the Bible dictates it throughout various scriptures and, and their applications. It boils down to that we're basically three-part beings, the same way we have a Trinitarian God. We are Trinitarian beings. God is a is God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? He's three parts. It's actually difficult for a lot of people to kind of wrap their heads around that. So God said, cool, I'll make them in my likeness so that they can relate to me. We are spirit, flesh, and soul. Our spirit, when God formed our flesh, formed Adam from the elements of the earth, and he breathed, the the word in Hebrew is ruach, which is fun to say. It's ruach. He breathed this powerful gust of, of air, his essence into man. And that's the spirit of man, the animating force that gives life to human beings and all of creation for that matter. And God, so there's spirit into flesh. And then God gave us a mind, a, a soul, a will, emotions, the personality that makes you, you, and no one else you. It is your uniqueness, your willpower, your decision-making, your emotional capacity, your mind. So this, this mind, will, and emotion is only one of the three parts of what make us, us. The Spirit's regeneration is God's work alone. It's something that we cannot do. That's God's to do. The flesh, that other part of humanity, is at war with the Spirit. Ephesians tells us that the, the flesh and the Spirit are at war with one another, almost like we, we can't do the things that we really want to do. And so the deciding factor, the battleground for that war between flesh and spirit is our soul. And so we're going to talk about training our soul, and the soul is made up of the mind, will, and emotions. Y'all with me? Y'all following? So in order to, to train our soul, I want us to, to have a shift. I want us to consider anything that may challenge you or strain you or stretch you, or grow you, or tax your willpower, or tax your mental faculties or emotions, not as a trial, but as training. These things that, are, that we face that are hard, that's actually training. And if you rewire the way you look at it, you can get benefit from it instead of things happening to you, you can have purpose through the trial. Does that make sense? How we choose to coach our minds directly determines our human experience. Have you ever met somebody who just complains all the time? Like all the time? And you're like, oh, I don't even like being around you. You complain so much. And then like that, that pure soul that I was talking about earlier, that person who's just full of light, and it's like whatever they have also exudes from them. It's how, it's how they frame their world. Everything in a Christian life, the real battleground of a Christian happens between these two ears. It's in your mind. If Satan, if, if so think of it this way, royalty, right? They deserve a kingdom. They have an inheritance. How do you get a prince who nobody could take what's his to leave his, his princehood? You lie to him. You convince him that he's not a son of his father. You convince him that he's worthless. You convince him that he's too trapped in sin to be effective in his kingdom. Right? So this is what the devil does. He, he attacks our minds. So really training our soul, which is our mind, our will, and our emotions, to hunger and thirst for God is the only way 
to shift from the useless and temporary pleasures and the fleeting pleasures of this world into an abiding joy and a sustaining love and a fulfilling life of purpose, meaning, and significance. God made every single person on purpose for a purpose. And you will never be satisfied in life until you know your purpose. And you will never know your purpose until you know your God. Because you can't know who you are until you know who made you. So we're going to talk real quick about how to train your soul to hunger and thirst. So we're going to start with the mind, then the will, then the emotions. So to train your mind to shift your appetites. Remember, we're, we're changing our appetite. You need to speak life. That's the tool I want to give you for training your mind. If you're taking notes, write this down. You need to speak life. The Bible says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. What you say directs what you believe. And what you believe shapes your world. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever is going on in here is what you're going to repeat. And whatever you speak has power over your life. And now I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking or, or affirmations or, you know, just speaking, you know, speak it into existence. That's like a, a, a non-religious, like universalism, spiritualism, like I just speak positivity into existence. See, the problem with that is there's no power in your words. Your words don't have the power to create the universe. You know who did create the universe with words? God. So when we begin to speak the life that God speaks over us, when we begin to look at this book and go, man, I am really, really afraid of X, Y, Z happening. Well, God has not given me a spirit of fear. He's given me a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Boom, throw that lie out the door. What about, I'm dealing with uh, tons of anxiety. Anxiety is more prevalent right now in our affluence and, and comfort than it has ever been. The Bible says that we can cast our anxieties on him. And then the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Are you lonely? The Holy Spirit is husband to the husbandless. He's the comforter. Like whatever it is that is coming against your mind, there is something in this book that speaks to it and it will speak life over it. So to train our minds, you see, the, I'm, I'm fired up, y'all. This is not just. This is not just about what are the you know the top three points on how to live my life better. If that's all you're here for, that's powerless self-help. That's not going to get you anywhere. If you want to know who God is, if you want to know truths from the Word that are eternal and not shifting and relative, like our culture says, your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth. Well, I'll just have a truth party. I don't know. I don't really know what culture says. I don't really listen to culture that much. But if you get to know God and put your foundation on his word that has lasted and has not contradicted itself for thousands of years and has been the authoritative depiction of who God is, this is more than just a one, two, three, how to live your life. This is not a manual. This is a book depicting the very nature and character of your creator. And if you will know it, it will shape your reality. Speaking life from this book over your life. There's this doctor, her name is, uh, she's a neuroscientist. Her name is Dr. Carolyn Leaf. Um, she's a Christian, but she spent uh, decades of her life studying the brain and studying the way our minds work and our, and our thought patterns and, and human behavior. And she's discovered over decades of research that what we speak and believe 
really does influence and shape our world. What the Bible has been saying for thousands of years, she has proved in the last 50 with science. There, there's this reality in, the, in your brains, the way your brain works, that whatever you think repetitively, you will continue to think repetitively. Your brain will wire its electronic signals in the neurons such that there's a path of least resistance. So if you, th- you do something over and over and over, your brain actually will align the neurons so that it's easier to shoot that electrical thought and remember it. Your brain physically changes shape based on your repetitive thoughts. So people, people who, who say, man, I'm always sick, they are always sick. This is not the power of positive thinking and of words. This is real science. This is the, if you were, you were to coach your brain into a new neural pathway, she said it takes somewhere between 60 and 90 days to repetitively train your thought patterns. Your brain changes shape when you do. Your neurons physically move over 60 to 90 days to realign and make a thought pattern easier to think. God made us incredibly. We're, we're wonderful creation. Which, have, you ever, have you ever driven home and you're like, whoa, I don't even remember driving home. Like, I don't know how I got here. That's, first of all, that's scary that you all do that too. I thought it was just me. No, it's because whatever you do repetitively becomes easy. It's the, it's the path of least resistance. It's the autopilot. So what you set as autopilot becomes autopilot. If negativity and speaking death and speaking negative outcomes over your life is what you continually do and think, guess what's gonna happen in your life? If you rewire with the word of God, that will become the new normal. But it's not, you can't lie to yourself. Like you can't be like, I am super successful. And it's like your business failed and you suck and you're not good at anything. Like it's, that's called cognitive dissonance. And it actually, it it stresses your brain out and releases cortisol and freaks you out. So just like affirmations for the sake of affirmations, don't do anything. But believing what you say, so an outcome like, I'm not successful now, but my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. I'm going to be okay. And you believe it and you say it, that has the power to rewrite your brain. I really like her book, Dr. Carolyn Leaf. You should read it. It's good. I'll tell you this too. It's really hard to focus on a fleeting pleasure or a negative thought pattern or something that is not godly when you begin to genuinely rejoice and thank God for all the blessings in your life. Like I tell you, once, a few weeks ago, um, my wife Jacqueline, she's serving in Purpose Kids right now, but she was here first service. And a few weeks ago, we had, the, we had like a little bit of an argument. Like it started to become an argument and I felt it and I was like, uh-oh, watch out, I'm about to lose. She's in law school, she's definitely gonna win. <laughs> so I was like, how do I get out of this argument? And, uh, and then in my head, I just, I just felt God remind me of this truth. And so in my head, without saying anything out loud to her, I was just like, man, what a blessing this woman of God is in my life. What a way she supported me in my calling in ministry. What a, what a woman of God and, and of virtue and of character. I'm so grateful for this woman in my life. And I literally started smiling. And she's like, what's funny? And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, I just love you so much more than this argument. And it, and it shifted my thought process. And I'm an emotional guy. I argue a lot. So pray for me. Um, but it, it's, it interrupted the negative rut that my brain likes to go down and want to be right all the time and argue with my wife, who's actually always right all the time. You just got to interrupt the pathway. You got to sh- turn the light on, right? If there's darkness, the Bible says that the light has shined in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. You just got to turn the light on. 
That's why I should have called this point. Turn the light on. That's cooler. <laughs> so we're training our soul so that we can hunger and thirst for the right things. This is the power of choice that rewrites your brain. Because really, if you think about it, you can only control you and what you think. You actually, sorry, control freaks. You can't control anything else. Not truly. Like you can't control your spouse. You can't control your kids. You can't control your success in life. Chance happens. Things happen. Things get in the way. The only thing you can really control is what goes on in here, in your mind. So we're going to train our souls. Point number one was training our mind by speaking life. Point number two is training our will. The soul is the, the mind, the will, and the emotions, remember? So willpower is an interesting thing. We all brought up the dieting. Like Sometimes we're strong with willpower, and sometimes we're not. So the tool I want to give you today is to choose irrevocable actions. Choose irrevocability. That's a big word. What it basically means is when you're strong, make the decisions that will set you up for success when you're weak. If you're like, I'm going no carb, like, I'm, I'm, I'm cutting out all carbs. Well, then throw away the Cheetos. Like, don't leave them in your cupboard for when you're weak at 11.30 p.m. This might have happened the other night. I'm not telling. <laughs> there, there's a way that you can choose in moments of decisions of willpower. You can choose actions that are irrevocable so that you don't leave yourself an out. Right? In scripture, this is best depicted, I think, in the story of the prophet Elisha when he's coming under the prophet Elijah. Their names are so similar. And, and he's going to come under him as his apprentice and then eventually become the prophet. Well, when Elijah calls Elisha to come follow him because it's God's direction, Elisha goes, okay, I'm coming. One second. And he goes home and Elisha's a successful farmer. He's oxen and plows and fields. And so he goes home and he takes his oxen and he slaughters them. And he takes his plows and he uses the wood to build an altar to the Lord. And he burns as an offering the plow and all of his oxen. He didn't leave himself something to return to when he chose to follow the things of God. He was all in. And he made an irrevocable decision. He made an irrevocable action to not leave himself an out later on when it gets hard. And he wants to quit. Well, now he's got nothing to go back to. So what's burn your plow, right? What's your plow? What is the thing that's like you always go back to? You know, you've got, man, you've got a foot planted in the things of God and you're, you're running after Jesus and you're pursuing, you're actually hungering and thirsting, but you know, every once in a while, eh, I don't know, what's, what's your out? You know, you need to stop looking at that stuff online, but you've only downloaded the accountability software on your phone and not your tablet because you, you just want that back door every now and then. Where is the out and kill it? Burn the plow. That is, how you re that is how real willpower is achieved because here's a secret to anybody who's successful in the world and it's like, wow, how are they even that successful? They're not always strong and successful like that. They've just set boundaries and barriers in their life so that when they're weak, they don't completely fall off the path that they know they're supposed to be on. Choose irrevocable actions. Also, if you tell somebody accountability is a wonderful thing. There's a reason God wants us in community with each other. Shout out to small groups, which are opening back up in the fall in just a little bit. We're going to have Bible study groups, fellowship groups. It's going to be powerful. Get some friends around you. Our culture doesn't even know how to do friendship right. Like just get around the people of God. We party, we get good food, and we learn about stuff that's enriching to our souls. If you, 
if you tell your spouse, that's just some advice I'll give you. If you have a goal or something that you know is a, a decision of willpower, if you tell your spouse, there's nothing like a spouse who's going to call you out. Like I'd be like, oh, babe, I'm going to do this new thing. And then a week later, I'm not doing it. She's like, didn't you commit to doing that one thing? I'll tell you, get accountability with somebody, a friend, your spouse. No one will hold you accountable like a wife. Trust me. So that's, that's that little tool there. We're training our mind. We're training our will. And the third one is we're training our emotions. We're training our souls. We're rewriting our affections and our appetites. We need to shift our appetites from the things of this world to the things of God. So point number three is emotions. We're going to train our soul through the tool of reflection. Everybody say reflection. And actually, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I learned this one recently just in the last couple of years. How many of you have ever like, been through something, and then like later on in your life, maybe it's years, maybe it's months later, you go through the same thing, and you're like, man, I really wish I had learned that the first time around. Like, it would have, I would have been in less pain this time if I had learned that already. I feel like we, we often repeat the same lessons because we don't actually sit there and reflect on what is God trying to teach me? John Maxwell, he's like a leadership guru, he said, reflection turns experience into insight. So experiences will just keep happening to you over and over and over and over and nothing will change in your life until you reflect on what God's trying to teach you in it. And that brings insight and wisdom and you actually learn and grow from it and you won't be stuck in a loop, stuck in the same sin over and over and over, stuck in the same life lesson over and over and over and over. Man, I'm in financial trouble again. Shouldn't I have learned this five years ago when I was in financial trouble last time, right? Reflecting turns experience into insight, but in order to reflect and have emotional health and be like, God, what are you doing? Why am I so angry all the time? Why, why do I have this unforgiveness? In order to actually deal with our emotions, this part of our soul that I think is hardest to deal with, we need to make time for reflection. I'm an, I'm an emotional person personally. Like my wife's the logical one and I'm the emotional one. She's like, I feel like this is backwards. I'm like, I do too, but it is what it is. How... How many of you are emotional people in the room? Raise your hand. And how many of you like to stuff those emotions? You don't like to feel them. You don't like to talk about them. Only two of them are honest. Here's the thing. God made emotion. It's part of our soul. It's how he created us. And so the people who are out of control and let their emotions control them, there's something to be learned as you reflect on what God's trying to show you with your emotions. It's a part of your soul. For your soul to be healthy, you need healthy emotions. And for the people who stuff it, that doesn't help either. If you're like, I'm just not emotional. Guess what? You're human. God made you emotional. You just don't like to feel it and deal with it. I'm on the overly emotional side personally. And so it's taken me a, a lot of years to, to kind of figure out, what am I even supposed to do with this? And it wasn't until recent years when I, when I, I began journaling. I actually dislike journaling personally, but I'm an avid journaler now. Because I hear God speak to me more when I stop turn off Netflix, turn off the phone. And I just go, God, what are you saying about today? What are you trying to teach me? Why in the world did today suck so bad? And then I write a few sentences about it. And God will speak to me day after day after day. I've heard God's voice through nothing clearer than reading the word and journaling about it. If you're like, man, I've never heard God speak to me. Well, do you read his word and do you journal? Start there. Pete Scazzaro is this author. He's, he wrote this book. Um, if you're taking notes, write it down. I, I feel that everybody in, in our culture needs this book. It's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. 
Pastor Landon recommended it to me. It's, it's been a life-changing book for me. And Pete Scazzaro says that you cannot be spiritually mature and emotionally unhealthy at the same time. The two are related. You're, you're a three-part being, your flesh, soul, and spirit. Your, your spirit man cannot grow unless your soul grows with it. And I think too many of us are emotionally unhealthy and we don't deal with our emotions. We don't know how to deal with our emotions and it clouds us from hearing God. So whether you're the stuffer or the exploder, whether you're the very emotional or the very few emotions type of a person, I believe God wants us to see that in reflection and dealing with our emotional health, our souls can become healthy and content in him. By the way, that book I recommended, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, I really do recommend you get it, but if you don't, it's not gonna hurt my feelings. But whenever Pastor Landon or Pastor Kelly recommend a resource to you guys, no matter what the topic, I really recommend you get it. Because if the wisdom in our pastors to lead this entire body, they're ordained by God to be our shepherds, and there's a reason that God's taken them down certain paths so that they can shepherd us well, I highly recommend, doesn't matter the topic, get the resource. A lot of intentionality in what I'm saying, that's our part, right? Decisions of will, speaking life, changing your mindset, handling your emotions, journaling about it, dealing, taking it to God, wrestling out some things. But there's a truth, and it's that after every effort of realignment that we put forth, every time we try to shift our affections and change our appetites, at the end of our effort, at the end of our rope, when we've exhausted every possible strategy and tactic, sometimes I still choose sin. And sometimes you do too. And it's like our hearts are broken. Our capacity for wickedness is, is boundless. Our craving for selfishness is limitless. There's this sin nature problem that gets in the way. To truly hunger and thirst for righteousness, we need to experience a greater love, a greater pleasure, so that we can go, that actually is better. Like, have you ever seen a kid and they have something that you don't want them to have, so you try to give them a different toy and you take it, and they're like, no, but I want, my I want the knife or whatever, you know, that they have. <laughs> and you're like, no, that's bad. Versus a kid who has a toy, and then they see a better toy that someone else is playing with. And they say, I don't want this toy. I want the better thing. And they walk towards the better pleasure. That's what God is offering. I think too many Christians don't actually enjoy being Christians. They, they don't know the love and the joy and the endless peace. The Bible says that in your presence, there is fullness of joy. Fullness, that's the fullness. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 63 has this verse that changed my life personally. And it's David who's praying. He's actually talking about hungering and thirsting. It's like, my soul hungers for you. My flesh longs for you. Like, like in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Because your love is better than life, my lips will praise you. And I was like, God, if your love is better than life, why, do I, why am I trapped in sin? If it's better your word says it's better. I was, I was doing the mind thing. I'm like, your promise is, is that it's better. Why am I always choosing a lesser thing if there's really a better thing? And God spoke to me in that moment and he said, it's because you don't know my love. You know of me. 
but you do not love me. So I believe a revelation of love is the only thing that can truly change our appetite to hunger and thirst for the things of God. Because you and I were created with a limitless appetite for more, leaving us utterly and completely unsatisfied in this life with anything less than limitless joy and infinite pleasure. This is God's part. He's the limitless supply that can satisfy the unlimited hunger. There's a reason that the success is not actually enough and you need to succeed more. There's a reason that the money's not enough and you try to get more money. There's a reason that even the spousal relationship that is the closest thing in your life to true love that you've ever experienced still lets you down because it has limit. And only a limitless supply is enough. Only in genuine union with Jesus does this exist though. I'm not talking about an altar call or a salvation prayer or just believing in him because the demons believe that Jesus is the son of God. They're not Christians headed for heaven. It's more than just following and obeying rules. That's the self-righteous pursuit. It's really God needing to regenerate our spirit man. This is God's work in us. and We just have to surrender to it. A total shift of affection requires a total surrender. And I believe that God is speaking to you today if you're under the sound of my voice. And he's telling some of you that this is actually you, that this shift in affections is you. Whether you've been a Christian for your entire life or you just came to church for the first time today or you're listening to this online and you're not sure what you believe, God is talking to you if you're in this room and you feel like something is missing, like life is not fulfilling, something's off. There's gotta be more. It's because you've been feeding your soul something that doesn't satisfy it. God is talking to you today if you are trapped in sin and you're knowingly choosing to sin and sin and sin and you're stuck. Those who practice, Jesus said, those who practice sin are slaves to sin. It's a, it's a trap. It's, a, it's like, a, it's like dangling, dangling some candy and it's right above a bear trap. Today is the day to turn back. Jesus has actually been right there behind you this entire time. You just needed to stop and look. I think Jesus is calling you today. I think God's talking to you in this room if you've been a Christian for a long time, but you've forgotten your first love. The fire has gone out. You need to God to restore to you the joy of your salvation. I think God is talking to you if you're in this room and you're the one who doesn't want to surrender or know how to surrender, maybe. Maybe you're bound. You're like, I, I just don't know how I can surrender to something that I don't fully understand. Can I remind you of what Christian said earlier in the prayer? He's good. He's trustworthy. His word has lasted true in his nature of love. The Bible says that God is love. Not just that he gives love and he makes you feel loved. He is the embodiment of love. And the sacrifice of Jesus in this, God demonstrated his love to us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the God who who wants to have something exchanged in your heart today. Sometimes I think, when surrender is brought up, it's actually hard for us because pride gets in the way. Like, 
Like, we don't know how to surrender. We don't want to surrender. What if it, what if it isn't fulfilling? What if I'm giving up something that's better and I just, like, grass is greener? The only thing that breaks a spirit of pride is the revelation of love. And so I'm praying that God is showing you he loves you so much. His love is better than life. It's really better. It's, it's, actually, it's actually the best. Would y'all please stand with me? We're gonna enter a time of response. We do a response time at the end of our services because to just hear truth and not do anything about it is honestly a waste of your time. So we encourage everyone to respond. What's gonna happen is I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray over everybody and then the worship team is gonna lead us in a song and while they're, they're praying, or I'm sorry, while they're singing, there's gonna be prayer partners at the back of the room. And if you just got some stuff you need to unload, go talk to them. They're trained, they'll pray with you. If you, just, if you just need to surrender something to Jesus or there's a decision that you need to make, a will power decision, and you feel emboldened to do it today, like this is what I'm gonna do. Go share it with somebody. Let somebody pray with you. There's also four response tables in the corners of the room and there's communion there. You can just have a moment of union with Jesus. That's what communion is for. It's to remember his, his sacrifice of his body and his blood. And if you're unfamiliar with communion, there's a little communion card there that kind of explains communion to you. And there's prayer cards there and like this card that says like, what did God speak to you today? I honestly encourage everyone to use that every single week and then put it on your mirror in the bathroom. And whatever God said to you this week, what are you doing about it? Like if God spoke to you in some way, let's respond together. So I'm gonna pray a prayer of surrender, a prayer that is asking God to change our affections, a prayer of invitation into loving union with Jesus. Maybe this is your moment of salvation. Maybe you're, you're, you're ready and you feel him calling. If you feel that stirring in your chest, that's the Holy Spirit and he's calling you. Whether you've been a Christian for a long time or this is brand new to you, let's pray. Lord, we surrender to you. We know that we need your regenerative work of your Holy Spirit in order for us to have changed appetites and change affections. God, would you help us hunger and thirst for you? We trust your word that you are the source of unlimited joy. And in your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. We just enter into a moment of that fullness. And as we go and write down what it is that you're speaking to us, we go receive prayer from our other prayer partners, God. I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and fill us with a revelation of your love, the only thing powerful enough to change the human soul. In your name we pray, Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Church Podcast. If God used this message to impact your life, tell us your story by emailing thepurposechurch.com. Be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at thepurposechurch.com to get connected and receive all the latest information.